Alright, so this is the Switch Mania Playcast. We're doing our first developer interview. Um, I'm Jeffrey Wittenhagen, and I'm by myself today. JP is off, probably on Twitter right now, posting stuff about <laughs> the different companies and different releases going on. Uh, today, I have with you... Go ahead. Rupert yeah. from Fox and Forest. Awesome. From the Fox and Forest. Bonus level entertainment. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so... I don't do much um, editing when it comes to podcasting, so what's funny is I have the intro of Fox and Forest playing right now, and I manually just took the volume down a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Nice one. That way we don't have to do any editing later. It's great. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So with this, this developer interview is going to be a a side companion piece to the podcast. It was episode two of the Switch Mania Playcast. And with Rupert here, uh, we're going to go over a little bit about what you do, your part of Bonus Level, and um, not only Fox and Force, but other things you have going on. So, yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. it's exciting times, to be honest, uh, as uh, we already started to work on my new project. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, so as you mentioned already, uh, I'm, I'm Rupert, the CEO of Bonus Level Entertainment. And I'm also the game director of Fox and Forest. And uh, yeah, Fox and Forest was, was my first game. It was a, a co-development between Bonus Level Entertainment and Independent Art Software. And uh, yeah, I'm actually pretty happy with how it uh, turned out. Yeah, we um we talked about it quite at length yesterday because we <laughs> we um so Rupert's in Germany because he's out in Europe um so we had to schedule like I'm literally like on a break in between work came came home to record an interview real quick it's pretty pretty classic but um yeah so like we recorded last night and it was it was pretty cool um, I ended up being able to beat the game I think it took me about three and a half casually on normal mode and. Uh, JP went and completely got 100% in easy mode through it. Nice. So yeah, so it was, we had both different perspectives, and we talked all about it. And listeners can check that our, all of our comments on the episode. It's it's a super classic. And what drew us in was the you know the Super Nintendo and Genesis style aesthetics. Um, yeah, I'm also really looking forward to your feedback on, on what you're talking about. So it's going to be super exciting. Yeah, and and the thing is, is that you know I've released super nintendo and nes aftermarket like homebrew games and indie developed games for the consoles so i know what goes into them so uh, as we're going through we also read some of the like feedback that other people were giving where they may not quite understand (laughs) the 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 concepts though behind what you're trying to get across like the different types of things because like the classic was at the end jp's like well what would you change and i'm like well if i did a change it would change it would it would kind of morph the actual feel of the game so you don't really want to do any changes to an inherent game it's the gaming experience that the developer wanted to get across and so it's like it's one of those things to me it's like more touchy of a subject when it comes to like trying to do changes and things and i just go at the game holistically from my experience and how i felt yeah, well, uh, it's a it's a really um, important thing you're mentioning because this is exactly true. When when I first had Fox and Forest in mind and and to make a six and bit style game, and I really also wanted to capture the feel that you had when you you were young playing these games, and uh, 
I think that like uh, the core audience who appreciates this and who had the, who have who grew up with 16-bit consoles, they can also uh, enjoy Fox and Forests more. But in um, you know there are also some new school gamers, of course, that are also playing Fox and Forests, also enjoying it. But they sometimes have a bit of a problems with like uh, this their design philosophy behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, so it's exactly what you said. You know, we made it for a pretty small audience, and we're very happy that this audience likes the game. Uh, but we could have definitely gotten, for example, a bit of a higher Metacritic ranking if we would have done um, um, more modern stuff in the design that we on purpose did not do. So when exactly. you play Fox and Forest, right, you, you're thrown in this world and you have to experience things yourself. You know, we don't have a tutorial for everything. Uh, and some people who are like used to that the game tells them like every step what you have to do like now go to the shop now buy this upgrade because only then you will be you know powerful enough for the next stage yeah. those people sometimes find experience a bit frustrating but yeah i'm happy that uh, that again um, the core audience uh, loves the game well and one thing that actually got me on that which was a classic is well first of all to set the tone i don't use any kind of don't watch videos i don't use tutorials i go at it blind because i'm an old school gamer (laughs) um what got me though is i didn't realize that after i beat the first world i had to go back and talk to the tree so i didn't i didn't do that for a while i'm looking around like what the heck do i do i don't know where to go like so i went and tried to find every seed that i missed and i couldn't get them because i didn't have the arrow upgrades so i was like looking around like what the heck so then eventually i went over that screen i'm like oh now I get an extra upgrade. Cool. Like, and that's the thing that a lot of gamers aren't going to get. And I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, modern gamers, number one, have a certain expectation when it comes to video games. And as a developer, you don't have to do that. But then your Metacritic score may reflect that because everybody is entitled in opinion in this gaming generation. <laughs> and... So, but the one thing that I've seen the most of is people are like, oh, it's too short. It's too short. And um, I, we actually praised that fact because in this day and age, it's nice to have a palatable experience where I can play three to four hours and complete a game on without complete, not a completionist, but at, to, to beat a game and get an experience yeah. In like one, I think it was like maybe two settings that I did that in, and that was awesome to do nowadays. And then I can still go back and max out everything that I haven't done, which then you put in more hours. So yeah, I'm, I'm very happy. That, yeah, very happy that you agree. Yeah, and I mean, cause the thing is, is you have to sometimes like put yourself in other people's shoes as well. And also, I'm an older gamer, so I don't have as much time to to sit and play video games. Yeah. And, I'm doing things like podcasts and writing books and all of that too. And I work full time job. So it's nice And I'm looking that. forward to your virtual boy book, by the way. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Was, <laughs> you know that that was an April Fool's joke that went out of control, right? Because my, so cool. my standard is when I go to Kickstarter, I have to have the book <laughs> done. And this one, I wasn't planning on doing. I figured nobody, everybody thought it was crazy. And they did and still backed it and said, you're going to make it now. <laughs> it's freaking crazy though um so i'm actually a little overloaded because i'm trying to finish that up while i'm working on the nintendo switch book because i want to get that done so we can launch and it's we're doing it volume by volume we're gonna have an encyclopedia series on the switch so the first year is going to be the first volume 
Okay. And so then as we get into future years and we get to Fox and Forest and things, like we'll offer all the developers and publishers opportunities to, you know, have a story piece in there where you tell the story behind things because we all know Nintendo has some crazy processes and it's fun. (laughs) Yes, nice. Looking forward to that. Absolutely. So, but yeah, so that's like my aspect is like without the the time it's nice to have that type of experience and i mean did you ever tell everybody that this was a triple a title where it's going to be a hundred hours no like ever since the initial kickstarter it's always been very clear where your experience was so it's interesting to see that people just lump video games into video games you know what i mean yes yes (laughs) Uh, you know, sometimes uh, I think that uh, now you can save in every game, of course, and for, for games like Fox and Forest, where there's backtracking, collecting stuff, yeah. it's a very important feature. But one of my favorite games is uh, uh, Super Ghouls and Ghosts. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, I still play it every month, every now and then, you know, and, and this is the total opposite. You know, you, you just sit down and you just challenge yourself. Can you beat the game? It's super hard to beat. It just takes a couple of hours to beat, but those um, hours are very, how to say, very tense, you know, very, very uh, exciting. And yeah, I, I kind of miss this uh, old school uh, uh, design uh, of the games, you know, that the game is not so long, but you have to be really skilled and really uh, into it to beat it like in a couple of hours. You're 100% right, and that's where I think Fox and Forest, for example, excelled, was that it gave you an old-school feel, and um, one of the comparisons that we saw from a listener was they compared it to Hook on the Super Nintendo. I don't know if you played Hook. Yeah, yes, yes, I did. I rented yeah. it uh, at the back in the time from uh, one of the uh, uh, video uh, VHS rental shops. So they yeah. Games. <laughs> and, and I think that it was more of the graphical aesthetic with the backgrounds and the forests is where it probably was more reminiscent to that listener. But because um, the gameplay mechanics are, are quite different. But um, yeah, yeah I, I agree, though, that there's a lot of you know parallels that you can do to old games because you hit that aspect with Fox and Forest. It was I think it was cool. I like that it was shorter because I'm I like those type of games. Um so the thing that's interesting, though, is the the players that didn't quite grasp that just means that they're not a retro gamer. So then that game necessarily wasn't for them. You know what I mean? Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, the, the, the thing is, uh, I would, besides maybe some little changes, uh, do it exactly at the same time again with my team that was really passionate and into it. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, the, the, the only problem is I think that, you know, uh, it's sometimes difficult to reach this target audience. I mean, the target audience of the retro gamer is by far big enough to sell like shitloads of copies of Fox and Forest, but it's not so easy to reach them. So, so that's the only thing from a business point of view that speaks against doing such an old school game for, for a small target audience. But if you manage to reach this target audience and uh, if you're lucky enough that you uh, get featured in everything, then, yeah, I I think uh, it's it's the best thing you can do as an old school gamer. Oh, absolutely. And I bet um, and this is this would be a a good a good question is how were the sales for the switch compared to the other platforms? I've, I've heard this from other developers before, not interviewed, but it's it's usually pretty, pretty ridiculously overwhelming from the switch perspective 
yes, it's true. Like the the Switch version outsold the other versions like uh, four to five times. Yeah. So yeah, we are really happy with the Switch sales. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's just uh, the right platform. I think uh, or, or an ideal platform for indie games and for for uh, retro games. And I mean, it's one of those things that we hit upon in our intro episode on the Switch Mania Playcast. Is like the Switch has an old school Nintendo feel. They went back to cartridges. A lot of developers are able to have a platform, especially with all of these limited release developers to get out copies of indie games and it gets you a little more focus because the I would say that the Nintendo uh, store right now is becoming flooded with games which is you know great for the gamers bad for the the developers um, it's turned turned into almost like steam craziness and it's cool but then these physical companies are allowing a spotlight on things which i think is is neat and it, it gets you a lot of exposure too which is really cool yes yes this, this is true uh, i'm so uh, super happy uh, and thankful for the cooperation with strictly limited games mm-hmm. when when we were when we were on gamescom with fox and forests uh, on the indie arena booth and um, uh, i think there was 2017 yes and, uh, and and they saw Fox and Forest and they immediately liked it and they said, hey, you know, you are interested in a, a physical limited edition. And of course, we were stoked, you know, to see our game like in a physical form it was such a cool chance. And then, yeah, we really did it. And from the first minute on, they were passionate and, uh, and, and uh, um, yeah, it was really, really good. Um, and also, I think the collector's edition uh, is really super cool that they made, really high quality, and 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 you can see the, the the attention and love to detail that they have, and that we also have at bonus level entertainment. So it was really a perfect match, I would say. And and it, isn't it something to to think that like the game you developed is not only on a Nintendo console, <laughs> but it's also like the perfect way to display it where you have like the the box art but also like they did the quality on the inside and there's the manual and you know you have all the pieces that you would want from a release it's not one of those cheap cash in triple a titles that you'll see where it's white on the inside of the cover (laughs) i mean you have that and it's like i i feel bad but like when i played cat quest on the switch i'm like oh yes finally i get to play the zelda style and i open it up and it's white on the inside there's no manual i'm like man they missed the mark slightly and you know those developers are like disappointed a little bit on the inside because like Fox and Force got the treatment, the limited editions amazing. Like every piece of the pie is is awesome. I mean, the only thing is, is now I'm not tracking, but is the OST available on a vinyl yet? <laughs> uh, no, uh, uh, not. But in, that's it's not available on the vinyl yet. But maybe that's a, a great idea. You know, uh, yeah. you think that would, that would be a nice item. Well, one thing is, I mean, the OSTs, the, the soundtrack's amazing. Um, one thing that, that uh, JP has realized when we went to Midwest Gaming Classic, a convention, is that I know everyone. I, I do know some guys that um, run vinyl record labels, by the way. So we'll, we'll get you in contact with, with somebody. Yeah, cool. Um, I, know the, I know the guy who released It'll Do 2 on vinyl. So. Well, no, I'm, I'm totally into vinyl. Uh, I love it. I just got the uh, Orkami for... Uh, for uh, I think it's on four LPs, 
um, um, a vinyl collection. It's it's super cool, and I'm a big fan of vinyl. And I think it's a it's a great item to have as a gamer, especially now in the in the time you know where so much titles are digital. It's yep. cool to have a physical item at home, you know. Well, and it's like to me, I I do love having video game vinyl, but it's ironic because it's a digital going to analog, and it's <laughs> yes. it's so cool that I I love it. And I've been collecting vinyl for for many moons. I have thousands of vinyl, and nice. yeah, it's, I I have multiple aspects of my my collector <laughs> sickness. Love it. Yeah, and and uh, you know, vinyl like uh, I would say ten years ago, it was it was super cheap, and now it's getting more expensive. It's really it's really so funny because it almost disappeared. Vinyl only the small bands did it, and and uh, the prices were really really cheap. And nowadays it's the opposite. Now nowadays the vinyl is more expensive than the album on a CD. So that's really funny. Yeah, you see more vinyl out here in the states than you do CDs now. Unbelievable! <laughs> it's it's awesome. But it's cool. I mean, that's really cool. You know, would who would have stopped this? Well, I mean, and my favorite part is you have the giant artwork. So just imagine like being able to see the Fox and Forest artwork on the giant vinyl. Like it's just it's just cool stuff to me. And uh, you know, being having released some game releases and releasing books with like crazy different options, like. I just enjoy putting out cool stuff, and I know that a lot of you guys are the same boat, which is the passion that goes behind all this. It's amazing. Yeah, and uh, I also really like the Fox and Forest soundtrack. It was done by by a friend of mine, Filippo. Uh, he's uh, he's doing video game uh, um, uh, soundtracks. He also lives in Munich, mm-hmm. and um, you know he also when he composed this amazing Gorgeous Gorge track. Uh, Filippo also has in his studio uh, uh, an old piano, and uh, and I said uh, just for fun one day, hey, you know, you're such a skilled musician, can you play this track on the piano? And he just said, of course. He sat down and played it on the piano, and it was like literally tears running uh, uh, down my eyes because it was such a beautiful uh, a melody. And then I begged him that you know uh, he's also uh, can include on the Fox and Frost soundtrack a bonus track with him playing this amazing uh piano track and, and and put it on the soundtrack oh and and that would be awesome for like an expansive soundtrack like a, a cover because you know there's whole communities dedicated to covering video game music like you have a guy that can literally just play the piano version who created yeah it. that's awesome that's amazing like and that just shows you how deep like all the different developers go to is that the talent pool is so deep it's awesome like Wow, that's cool. That's a cool story. So, um, the thing is, is JP gave me a bunch of uh, standardized questions. Um, Fine, shoot. Yeah, oh yeah, the classicness. Um, but first, before we go <laughs> over to that, um, so I have a little background on me. Um, so where are you at in Germany? Because I actually lived in Germany for for three years. Oh, seriously? That's yeah. cool. Uh- like I'm originally from Austria, uh, but uh, I live in Germany for over ten years now. At the moment, in Munich. Okay. Um, I was out in Vilsack near Nuremberg, so. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, so that's really close. Yeah, I was there from 2000. I want to say 2006 to 2009. Um, so All probably right. before you were out there. But um, I I went to Munich to go see Slayer and <laughs> some some crazy. Nice. Uh, Lamb of God, I think, was out there watching some metal bands and stuff and. Obviously, go to all the Volksfests, and um, I mean, all I knew in German though was Ein Bier Bitte and 
hop on half an hour oh, nice. like point so i can get to the train station. Uh, that that's cool. all i needed to know <laughs> pronunciation is perfect <laughs> yeah i mean well i mean my last name is wittenhagen so wittenhagen so they all True, just assumed yeah. i was german and I would, just, <laughs> I would go out to eat and do the point and pray method pray it didn't kill me and <laughs> <laughs> i would try to not speak too much so they just assumed because um <laughs> being american you do get taught treated a little differently on the the economy from some of the the natives out there the actual germans they 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 seem like they don't speak english but i know they all do <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's uh it was fun though it was a fun couple of years so so you're out in munich um yeah because we used to take the train out there this the, the bullet train out to munich on the weekends nice. lots of lots of partying <laughs> good stuff so yeah i just wanted to let you know that I, i've been out there <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice one. Yeah, cool. Next time you're here, please make sure to visit. Oh, for visit sure. me. I've been invited to some gaming conventions out out that way. I just haven't had like I don't have the funds to get out for plane rides and such yet. Um, yeah, games Gamescom is cool. It's it's really it's really yeah. big. It's good for business as well. So uh, I do have to say that of course, if you go there every year, it also gets exhausting. But uh, um, uh, actually, every year when I'm there, I'm really happy and it's really cool. You meet so many people from the industry, not only from Europe but also from from abroad, and and uh, it's really very efficient for for making making appointments. So yeah, yeah, it's cool. And like me being a, a book publisher, it's very niche still. So um, there's not a whole lot of gaming de- game developer conventions and industry conventions that I really need to go to. It's I go to the fan yeah. ones and hang out and. Basically, do what we're doing now, just with every single person that comes up and chats. It's fun. <laughs> so let's see what the JP questions are. So he he wants to know uh, what inspired you to work in the video game industry. Well, it's very easy. Um, um, I, I grew up on gaming uh, uh, quite early with a with a VC twenty that was the predecessor of the Commodore sixty four. Uh, and and uh, I'm this. I have two older brothers, so you know they always already managed how to play games and load games and whatever. I was really young, but for me, it was always really fascinating. And I remember the first game that I could play or could load was Bomb Check on Commodore 64. Nice. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't even read, but I could, you know, just type in the signs and play it. Yeah, load, shift in two, comma, <laughs> shift in two star, shift in two, comma, eight, comma, one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there we go. And, and the, the shift, to, to figure out the shift thing was really hard, you know, yeah. if you can't read to figure out this... Stuff, but uh, anyway, and then and then uh, I imported with my with my middle brother the Super Famicom from Japan, and from that time I was really hooked. And you know, it was such a super exciting time because here in Europe people didn't know about the Super Famicom; they knew about the Genesis, and it was really successful. But that there's an even better console, or uh, you know, that, that's what we believed. Uh, that's that that's only out in Japan. It was so exciting, and all the games were in Japanese. Like Super uh, Ghouls and Ghosts, my favorite game, uh, was in Japanese and everything. Mm-hmm. So that was such an exciting time in my life, and it was so cool and special because it was uh, yeah, not everyone played Super Nintendo or Super Famicom at that time. That uh, I decided to to or it was my big dream to make my own game from that day on. Wow, so Super Famicom. So you went from Commodore sixty four over to the Super Famicom, which is that's super yeah. interesting, yeah. Because yes, <laughs> uh, 
I, I wanted the NES, the Nintendo Entertainment System, but my parents uh, uh, didn't buy me the NES because they said I would spend too much time playing games. <laughs> I mean, true story. Like, like that's what we do. And you know, I've, I've talked to a few um, European like YouTubers, like Larry Bundy and um, Guru Larry, and he would just say that it also the Nintendo was a little on the rarer side. Um, Whereas, like when the Mega Drive came over there with Genesis, yes. it um it was pretty abundant around there, and you know obviously the uh, European computer scene was was huge. So you started with your your Vic twenty to the Commodore sixty four. I uh, grew up with a Commodore sixty four as well, um, nice. and so I I went from Atari twenty six hundred, and my brother got a Commodore sixty four, which my parents I think went fifty fifty with him on it back in the day, and. I just remember all of the um, summer games racing with the joystick back and forth, going as fast as possible. Oh, summer, crazy, yeah. <laughs> and I, I have like summer world games, re- winter games, uh, prehistoric games. It was so oh, much yeah. fun. And I have like world <laughs> records on diving now. Like if you look at like old, I'm like, holy cow! Like I have perfect scores on this stuff, and nobody's done that. <laughs> like, like there's some crazy stuff when it comes to old school Commodore, and like some of my favorites are like Space Taxi. Um, obviously Pitfall 2 was the definitive version on the Commodore and to me all the poor Nintendo ports were like Commodore ports like all the poor Nintendo games where you had the up to jump because that's a staple on the Commodore was up to jump because you only have one button exactly yeah (laughs) Yeah, so I was like I didn't those never really bothered me until like much later when I got used to the Super Famicom and you know you have multiple buttons um, so obviously Super Famicom is a is a big influence on you. You could see it in the, the Super Nintendo aspects in Fox and Forest. So is Super Ghouls and Ghosts your favorite game of all time? Um, it's really hard to say something like this. Uh, yeah, it's either Super Ghouls and Ghosts or, or Final Fantasy VI. Ooh, that is a good one too. Final Fantasy VI is a masterpiece as well. Yeah, it is. I can't believe that they didn't do any remakes of it uh, so far. Unbelievable. Yeah. Like it, it is interesting that they really haven't touched upon it yet, and yeah, it, Final Fantasy VI is just like prime for something out there because the last time we got anything was Game Boy Advance ports, and yes, yes, yeah, yes. I mean, it's it's sad times. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, the next question from JP. Uh, prior to co-founding Bonus Level, and he wrote 2015, 2016. Um, he said you were already well established in the industry, having worked for Deep Silver as a senior brand manager. Apparently, he's cyber stalking you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nice one. <laughs> can you can you tell us a bit about your role there, and um, what are your career highlights for Deep Silver? So the time at Deep Silver was super awesome, and I do have to say, um, you know, I started first working for a developer and then worked for Deep Silver. Uh, I learned a lot of super important things, and without those three and a half years and all the great stuff I could learn, I would have probably never dared to, you know, make, try and, and, and risk it and make my own game. Mm-hmm. So it was super cool. Um, I was um, I was working in marketing for a publisher. You know, many people in the industry say publishers are evil and even more evil than the publishers or the marketing people. But I do have to say that that uh, I, I have a total different experience of it. So the, the people from all the publishers that I know are really passionate as well. They're gamers just like you and me and striving to do the best for the products. So it was a really positive and fun time. And uh, yeah, it was also a lot of hard work, I do have to say. Uh, and um, 
And yeah, my highlight would have been uh, that that uh, I was responsible for the marketing of Dead Island 2. And they actually really, uh, uh, me and my team managed, uh, I, I pitched the game Dead Island 2 at, at, at Sony in San Francisco. And they actually really chose it to be one of their E3 2014 featured games. So the Dead Island 2 CGI trailer was shown on the Sony E3 press conference. And that's uh, yeah one of the biggest things in marketing, AAA marketing that you could reach. So that was super exciting. And then sitting there in the audience and in, and you know that they will play the trailer of your product. And uh, it's such an exciting feeling. That was really super, super special. Maybe one of the most exciting special moments in my life. Wow, it's like a yeah, bucket list fuck. thing right there. <laughs> super. So that was really, really cool. And, and the people at Sony were all super positive and, and uh, uh, nice. So that was really great cooperation, uh, co- collaboration. But then, sadly, the, um, yeah, as you know, that Arden 2 still is not out. So that's a bit of a funny story. Then kind of you reach a lot in marketing and the game, I think, was on a good way. And yeah, now, but five years later, uh, the game is still not out. So that there was, yeah, was a bit frustrating. But, uh, you know, th- this is how it goes sometimes in the games industry. And I do wish Deep Silver and the people behind that Island 2 the best and that it will come out eventually one day and be the great game that we all uh, uh, yeah wanted it to be. Well, and I mean, it does happen. There's a myriad, you know, a lot of different things that could happen to delay a, a game. And it could just be so, a, something as simple as a key person had to move on for an emergency reason. And it causes a huge delay in things. Or, I mean, there's so many things that could happen. And so that's where, like, a lot of fans from the outside just are critical. Whereas you got to take a deeper look sometimes into what's going on. Uh- Exactly, it's 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 not always so easy, and and you know now with Fox and Forest, we were I would say the core team was seven people that worked on it for two years, and then we had the freelancers on top of that. But if if now if Nintendo would come and I'm serious, and they would say, Hey Rupert, uh, please make the next Zelda, and you know, two hundred people or something uh, working on the game, I'm. I, I, I don't know if this is actually really as much fun as you think it would be, you know. So in small teams, it's more creative and everybody knows what the other one is doing and everybody shoots a quick idea and immediately you can implement it in the game. So it's a very fun way of working uh, in the indie industry. Oh, yeah. And to develop AAA games, oh, I think that's I have all my respect of the people that have like 200, 300 people in the team. And wow. Well, I mean, and the thing is, is that the the deadlines in the AAA side are much more stressful than uh, doing your own smaller project where you have a little more leniency. You can go have dinner with your family. You can <laughs> you can go do stuff. Whereas, I mean, when you got a deadline, you're working for Nintendo trying to convert the newest Zelda or make a brand new Mario game. It's that it has to get out. Like it's stressful. Yeah, I mean, I mean, maybe even Nintendo was was uh, not the best example because I think they would rather you know take a couple you know we've seen it in the past couple of more months to to make it perfect, but other publishers uh, really they, they they bring out the game it's not finished and then you need to patch it, mm-hmm. you know if the game is super awesome then people don't mind but if the game is just good and it's buggy then of course uh, it's it's very hard just because the competition is so high. Well, exactly and. I mean, now I'm seeing a almost a transition with fans where they want, especially when it comes to Nintendo Switch, they want a non-patched, you know, complete version of the game on the cartridge. 
Um, I've even seen uh, where some develop some publishers are waiting till the DLC or the final patches are released before they'll release it on a cartridge yeah. to people. Because yeah. I mean, I mean, in the future, we've seen it with the Wii, the eShops and the online servers will eventually go down and as a developer do you really want the only way for somebody in the future to be able to play your game is to hack the game and because you're gonna have to hack it to get the dlc in the future it'll be available it just won't be available through conventional means yeah and it's just like i would much rather just have it on that cartridge on my shelf like Like so, I mean, it's interesting though, right? The the transition of wanting things out there. Yeah, it's um, it's it is, and again, everybody says it, but I'm just gonna repeat it. And in, in the the last months in game development, they're really super stressful for any game, and yeah. and then usually it's really sometimes just a couple of more weeks that you would need to you know turn the game from 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 good to awesome, you know, and sometimes you do, you're not given these couple of weeks just because the, the publisher says, no, we have to release on this day because whatever, it, it's it's important for our business quarter or something. Yeah, I was telling that actually literally on episode two, I was telling that to JP where it's like the last 10% is the hardest to get done of any project. Yes. Like, it really is. And, and also though, knowing when to release because you could always go back and find something to fix and i think i've like (laughs) literally found a mistake like later on with one of my books like i'll find a punctuation or something in every single release that i've done like man (laughs) but like i could have went over that i've i go over it a hundred times like i could have went over it 101 but like eventually i want people to get the book (laughs) and and so that's where the you know the publishers kind of step in and and put a little stress on everyone, but sometimes it's a little too fast. <laughs> and just getting it out there, and they just, oh, you can patch it later, and there's that mentality from the publisher side, whereas the yes, developer yes, yes. wants it to be perfect. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's it's a crazy dichotomy, a, a crazy give and take when it comes to that. It's interesting. Um, let's see what else JP has. So we've already kind of talked about this. He wanted to know what led to you forming your own company and going retro with 16-bit puzzle platformer Fox and Forest. I think we already went over that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we definitely talked about that. Um, he said that while he was playing through Fox and Forest, he loves the what weather changing mechanics. He said, could he could you provide some background on how you came up with the with the game and did the end results meet your expectations when it came to Fox and Forest? Uh, so yes, the end result did meet my expectations. Uh, once again, the, the, the co-development between Bonus Level Entertainment and independent art software was was pretty cool. Uh, I'm happy with the result. And the idea for that, I had this idea a long time ago. I had this idea when I was even before I was starting to work in the industry, and that was uh, when I was uh, uh, studying and I got the GameCube, and um, and uh, I was playing Ikaruga on the GameCube. Okay. And really, it's still one of my top 10 favorite games, Ikaruga, the, the shooter where you can switch your ship between black and white polarity. Absolutely. I think it's a super cool idea. I love the game. Uh, I love all treasure games, obviously. Uh, and uh, I thought, hey, why not uh, you know, have a, have a shoot-em-up where you don't just switch between black and white, but you can switch the, the background, the season. So you have a shooter uh, with different seasons. So this is how it started. And then it turned from a shmup with seasons to a action platform with seasons. 
interesting and like the the um inspiration of Ikaruga was something that I didn't even think about, but now that you mention <laughs> it, it is very very like clear that that there is an inspiration there and that was probably my favorite part of the game was the different puzzles and mechanics that you could utilize by switching back and forth and also how that unlocks as you upgrade your character and your mana bar is able to grow you can leave the season on a little longer and allow you to do a little bit more with it and exactly Oh, I'm, I'm happy that it. again you you are one of you are exactly the type of player that we made the game for you know you experience stuff like this and you you check it out. Some people you know they they, they don't even I, I've I got this uh, an, uh, a mail from someone who said hey you know I, I can't reach this place and it's not well designed and blah 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 so he didn't even know that you can upgrade your your season meter so <laughs> it's 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 really funny uh, uh, and I'm sure he was a skilled player but they just don't you know take the time to you know. Check out the shopping area. Talk to every uh, every shop and see you know w- w- what you can buy. You know, so yeah, it's interesting too. Like the the game is poorly designed because I couldn't find something. It's like, well, search around. Maybe you'll find it. Yeah. The, the game's like a maze in certain aspects where you, you got to hunt around and cut down every blade of grass and and do everything. Like it's and it's fun to do. So it's. And, and- yeah, and then we purposely put the shopping area to the tree, you know, so every time you have to go to the tree or you the tree gives you a new sh- uh, type of shot, you will pass the shop area. So, so we made sure from a design point of view that it's like, you know, you pass it anyway, so why not stop by and upgrade? <laughs> well, exactly, and then you see like, oh, I need two grindstones in order to upgrade my my <laughs> sword. Where do I find grindstones? In the level. Exactly. So you go look around and find a grindstone. Like it, it was, it was very. Um, I would say that would be the most Nintendo-like thing that you uh, you did in there is where Nintendo is notorious for having tutorials without them being tutorials, like good game design that leads you to somewhere without having to explain it in text, <laughs> which I liked. I very much liked that with with Box and Forest. Yes, and and uh, you know maybe maybe I'm I'm more how to say more. Uh resistant to a thrust here because you know i told you i was when i was playing commodore 64 i couldn't even read and when i was playing uh, super famicom i could read uh, but i couldn't read japanese right so i was really you know i was always forced to find out and try out stuff and and i loved it and then when i found out a secret or something or or, or, or upgraded my character i was always super happy and i found it so rewarding that i wanted to have this same rewarding experience in fox and forests well, exactly, and you absolutely captured that old school style. It's really, really interesting. <clears throat> Have a cough for a second. <laughs> so, the interesting part is, um, so JP mentions that Fox and Force initially started as a Kickstarter, right? Yes. Med and exceeded its goal. What were your thoughts on the campaign, and was, while the campaign was in process, and all the way to completion, what were your thoughts? Okay, so first of all, preparing the campaign was a lot of work. So everyone who wants to do a Kickstarter, please take your time to prepare it. <laughs> it's um, like another first... job, by the way. Like I've done multiple yes. successful Kickstarters. It is another job. <clears throat> and another thing that I do have to mention, or I was surprised, is that how uh, supportive and reactive the Kickstarter team itself is. So that was really cool for me. They were really responsive and helped me out. And um, then when the campaign started, I have to say that I 
as underestimated uh, the amount of work that has to go into social media. So oh uh, so much you can't do uh, it now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. So yeah. uh, so you have to be on social media all the time and uh, uh, underestimated this a little bit and. I kind of ruined my elbow uh, in these uh, five weeks of Kickstarter campaign uh, because I got like uh, some constant elbow pain from from sitting in front of the computer all the time. <laughs> so that was that was a, a, a yeah tough but rewarding time, and uh, I'm super happy that we did it. In hindsight, I would do some things differently. So I would first try to grow the social media. Uh, accounts but then it's difficult you know just to say hello I'm gonna make a game please follow me on Twitter it's it's hard uh, to yeah. grow your social media accounts and I think here you have a bit of an advantage when you live in the States because you know it's just easier to reach out to 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 the people or to the press uh, if, if you're in the same country than, than coming from Europe and uh, another thing uh, is that I would probably um, have I would have a demo ready as well at least for influencers so we had this prototype for Fox and Forest that was playable, but it wasn't planned to be playable for external people. And we could have gotten more coverage if we would have had the demo that we could give to influencers or maybe even old backers, you know, depending on, on, on what makes sense. So that, that's what I would do differently to make sure that the, the prototype you use for capturing the Kickstarter video is also a, a playable uh, demo that you can give away. Yeah, and um, yeah. are you planning are you, on you, taking your next game over there? Uh, I'm not 100% sure yet. Um, um, it's a it's a possibility, um, but uh, my next game is now in concept phase. Uh, I got uh, financial support from the um, uh, FFF Bavaria. It's like a games and film funding agency that is really cool. Um, so so that's pretty cool because I have my back free. I can really focus on 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 the creative stuff, which I think is very important. Absolutely. Uh, I love the concept so far. It's like over 100 pages, game design document yet, and and everyone who, who uh, like the few people who are, uh, can take a look at it uh, really like the idea and the concept behind it. So uh, if I can do it without a Kickstarter because it's so much work and and stress, I would. But this means I have to get additional financial support and maybe finding a publisher. Uh, and uh, if I'm not uh, lucky enough to to get this, then obviously Kickstarter is uh, is the, the 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 other option that I will definitely take. Well, and I actually enjoy the um, exposure aspect that Kickstarter gives my own campaigns. So that's why I continually use it because I, mean, yes. I have enough backers where and and readers that would you know pre-order books, but. I enjoy the the visual aspect of it, being able to give it a like show people exactly my vision for the book or my next project, and being able to collaborate with other people to make cool stuff. Like, so I mean, if you do go to Kickstarter, just have some really cool items or something and make it fun, and the game should sell itself at that point too. And if you do your your um, lessons learned where you have a demo and things, I mean, it'll you already have an established now fan base. So with Fox and forest that they'll be clamoring for the next game. I mean, uh, yeah, thanks. And, uh, I agree the exposure, uh, uh, that you get over Kickstarter. That's a huge, huge benefit. So either you find a really big publisher that, you know, that is big enough and, and has enough financial power to give you exposure, or you really, uh, uh, have to go on Kickstarter. And there are even games that are almost finished, you know, and then in the last, uh, whatever, 20%, of the time before launch, the developers 
go on Kickstarter just for the exposure. So that's that's uh, on one hand understandable, but on the other hand, it's also dangerous a danger for uh, small developers or other developers that start with a Kickstarter. Because yes. if my game is almost finished and I just go to Kickstarter to get the exposure, I can say, hey, give me 40k and the game is finished. Okay, but with 40k, you cannot make a... Uh, 40k, uh, um, uh, 40,000 uh, dollars, you can't make a, a proper game, right? No. So if you start making a game and then you say you need, uh, I would say, 80k uh, US dollars, then people say, hey, why do you need 80k? The other developer uh, just needed 40k and his game is almost finished. So that kind of distorts the picture a little bit because yeah. I do have to say, dear uh, fellow listeners, making games, even indie games, is not cheap. No, I've I've mentioned it on the um, episode zero, but it's I mean I've heard other podcasts and it's almost like to do a, a small even a small switch run. I'm saying just the physical side, not the development side. It's like a hundred thousand dollars or something just yeah. to to physically produce it. And so like some of these kickstarters that are putting less than a hundred thousand dollars to do their game and release it physically on the switch, it's like well that's not feasible. Um, and it's interesting to see, but the other side is, is that if you're very clear on it, you say game's finished, you were just, you know, paying for getting exposure out there and paying for the physical items. Like that's a way to go as long as you have a way to a way ahead too. So I I get the whole negative connotations though, where, where people ask, because I mean, with me, I've even gotten to the point now where I'm my own publishing company. And now that I'm doing that, I can produce the books cheaper. So instead of charging, I don't know, $70 for a, a 500-page book, I can charge 40 and still be good. And I char- So I charge 40 for my giant books. And it's because no, I'm the publisher. And I publish other people as well. So it's, like, it's just getting out there and learning how to do things efficiently. Uh, but yeah. when you're not the actual publisher and you have to still, and especially with the Switch, have to go through Nintendo for, for publishing, it's expensive. And yes. yeah, there's there's no, like, you're talking millions of copies in order to get a discount at that point. That's insane. That's a lot of money. <laughs> and, and, and you know, creating a pixel uh, game, I mean, of course, you always have these people that really do everything by themselves, programming, graphics, sound, and that's wonderful. But it's the exception from the rule. Uh, you know, the team of Fox and Forests, again, the core team was seven people. Most of them has, have families and, uh, and uh, you know, they, they are passionate gamers, but they also need the money. Uh, and uh, and uh, creating a pixel game means that every frame has to be drawn by hand, pixel per pixel. So, you know, every enemy and we have, I think, 28 or over 30 different enemies in, in, in Fox and Forest. They all have walk cycles and the death uh, animations and attack animations. So this is like hundreds and thousands of uh, pixel pictures that you need to draw. And this just takes time. And yeah, time means money. hundred <laughs> percent oh, right. And every little aspect. I mean, people underestimate even like for simple books that I do, it's thousands of hours. A game is you're, you're getting like exponentially more because it's every single aspect that you have to do with the game. And not only that, but playtesting and bug testing. And it's yeah. it's why when the publisher puts pressure to for you to release a game early, it's it can be a disaster sometimes. <laughs> so let's see what uh, let's see what else uh, JP is talking about here. Um, so let's let's talk about the physical release on the Switch through Strictly Limited. 
Um, how did you? How did the partnership come about with Strictly Limited? Uh, yeah, I briefly touched it already. It was on Gamescom 2017. Yep. They they saw Fox and Forests. Uh, they, they 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 loved it and and talked to me. And yeah, then 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 Fox and Forests was digitally released uh, with our publisher Eurovideo, uh, who who was who was our main publisher, who who uh, thankfully financed a lot of the development of Fox and Forests and released it digitally. And then in the second step, uh, strictly limited. Uh, got the physical rights and made the physical release, and that gave Fox and Forest another huge exposure. So it was a pretty, pretty cool thing yeah, for for all for all parties involved. I would say. Yeah, it's it's just one of those things where everything lined up perfectly with the perfect type of game, the, and especially when it comes to like the Nintendo Switch and the the whole atmosphere. It, it's it's one of those that is a it should be a staple to the system at this point when it comes to like especially the indie side of, of development. But even that being said, like there's almost categories nowadays for the Switch. Wouldn't you agree? Um, you have like your yes. your brand new AAA titles. You have yes. your ports of old school titles. I mean, we saw a PS One game. That Gekaido that's getting released. We've seen various different franchises being revitalized, such as Wonder Boy. And I mean, I just picked up Penguin Wars, which is an old Famicom and Game Boy game. They really they did a new version of that, so that's its own category. You have games such as yours on the indie side, but they're on physical cartridge, so that's like its own, almost its own section. Of yes. the of the switch, and it's it's so cool to have so many different avenues for gamers, and it's yeah. I think we're, I think we're in a new like golden age for for gaming when it comes to this, and it it's way different than the Xbox and the PS four at PS four and what they're doing. Like I, that's that's so true. I mean, the, of course, every console has its own uh, strengths and weaknesses. But I do have to say that really Nintendo was so super smart to open up the Switch for the indie uh, crowd so quickly. That was really cool because, you know, uh, remember, you know, you've, you've been there for a long time in gaming. So remember, you know, Super Nintendo time, you had the seal of quality. It was really hard to publish a game. Yep. Then then, uh, then, then, they got, then they got even more strict for the Nintendo 64. And then with the GameCube, that wasn't a success. And really, there were not many games on the GameCube. Uh, uh, then they kind of opened up a game again, and then uh, on the V or on the Nintendo DS, they probably opened up too much because yeah. then the Nintendo DS was flooded by 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 physical games, and it was a big disaster for many companies. Uh, so, so it was a risk, uh, I think, from Nintendo to open up the Switch to the indie scene so quickly. But uh, yeah, uh, they were rewarded, and I think that's uh, really cool. Yeah, and it's um. It's really interesting what you mentioned about like the Super Nintendo being more restrictive with the seal quality, and then like the '64. That's when what led a lot of companies, such as Square, to move Final Fantasy over to the PS One and mm -hmm. Final Fantasy Seven. And now we're having Final Fantasy Seven on the Switch. Um, and I think that we are going to see some of the repeat of the Wii with some I've seen a lot of releases because JP buys everything I do not I, I'm selective um, but but like I've I've seen the the little sports party games and all of that stuff coming out now and all the the different you know um, like horse riding games and the farming games and 
all the different stuff. And I'm, when I yeah. say farming, I don't mean Stardew Valley. I mean more like Harvest Life, where it's like a, more of a cookie cutter. <laughs> um, and I mean, you're just seeing straight ports of of different types of Android games and and different yes. stuff like that. Whereas I, we're gonna see that, but also in this day and age, we have youtube reviews we have discerning eyes so it should help more because even in the Wii era we still ha- we had a lot of casual gamers out there that were still just didn't know better and were picking up everything whereas yes. whereas now i think the community is a lot more educated and discerning so it won't be in, in my opinion it won't be an issue and it shouldn't affect smaller developers such as yourself because i think quality is going to overrule quantity uh, I mean, on one hand, it's very interesting what you just said because it's true that the, 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 let's say the, um, the consumers are used to crowded stores uh, due to the situation on smartphones. So they're not, they're not like, uh, as you just said, it, uh, you know, offended if they're like uh, tons of uh, titles in the digital store uh, because they, 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 they know about the situation. They know how to, you know, check out what's good for them and check out the ratings and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, it is for, for the for developers like us, for indie developers, I do have to say, you know, every week so many good games uh, come out on the system. It's, it's, it's pretty hard. No, it's, 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 it's not easy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, and, I mean, we're in a, a Shangri-La, per se, when it comes to <laughs> we We are. It's a great time to be a gamer. As a yes. developer, it's stressful for you, but... Um, where a lot of collectors are kind of down on all of the different limited companies coming out, I think that's a blessing in disguise. I mean, there's yes. going to be a lot, and as a gamer, it's like, man, i got to get all these games. That's a good problem to have. Um, but for you, for example, so you were with Strictly Limited with your physical release for Fox and Forest. Now, if... You have a now a track record with them, so when you do your next release, if Strictly Limited picks it up, there's more exposure and it's it's a, it's an avenue in, which is really cool, and because like you're gonna have different companies that are gonna have track records now that are releasing, and it's a different way that you don't have to worry about getting in with GameStop or yes, Game yeah. um, over over in Europe. You don't have to worry about that because you have companies that are gonna be able to get a physical release for your game if it meets their quality threshold. Um, I know in the past, JP has said that um, Limited Run Games has has passed on indie games, which are now, some of those games are being released by different companies like Warren Collectors and Red Art Games and some of the other ones. But that's not necessarily a bad thing either because it's, there's going to be fans that are clamoring for that type of game, that genre that maybe Limited Run didn't see, and then this company likes it. And then it gives yes. gamers the opportunity. And I think that's going to be the best part because those those companies, like Strictly Limited, aren't going to put out the shovelware. They're not going to. No, never. So that's the best part. So that will help us avoid that that overflow unless you're going for a complete collection like JP is and then you're kind of <laughs> out of oh, luck because unbelievable because you're gonna have all of these games that aren't necessarily gonna ever be played I mean some some of the games like I have a seven-year-old daughter and if she wants to play one of them I mean I will get it for her um she's into Minecraft and, and Roblox like every other kid her age so <laughs> oh, nice. 
Yeah, it's like if you ever look on my on my Switch profile and because you can see like what people have played, like Minecraft is always going to be the top because she plays that <laughs> for an hour or two a day, and nice. that's in between going outside and playing because I'm an old school parent as well. <laughs> but yeah, it's like I I think that it's gonna be interesting to watch. It's a great time to be a gamer. The Switch is is by far my current favorite console current because i do love my super nintendo i do love my nintendo i love all that stuff too um but like currently like this the switch is is getting up there so definitely switch is a it's a a great platform and uh yeah i'm super i'm very happy to see super mario maker um mario maker 2 as well on the switch oh my because it was one of the best games on the wii u Mm -hmm. uh i do have to say wii u was not a bad i mean it was not successful and it was complicated to handle with the with the gamepad and everything but but the system itself when you look at the games was pretty good uh, so i'm very happy that some of these games get a second chance now on the switch absolutely and like the the wii u was was great from a gamer perspective but it was more focused on a certain niche of gamer and they didn't quite I don't think they quite hit what they wanted to achieve with the Wii U, and I think the Switch is what they wanted. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. I think that's that's very good thing to say. It was really the step in between. Um, yeah, yeah, between. Yeah. And like so that to me, the Wii U feels like a toy, whereas the Switch feels like a gaming console. And one thing we yeah, didn't touch the- upon with Fox and Forest is like being able to play the game on the fly, play it wherever, whenever is like. That's my favorite part, and I yeah. played Fox and Force in handheld mode the whole time. Um, Nuts. Because my daughter's playing, I think, the PS4 version of Minecraft. She has it on everything. <laughs> but um, she was playing that, and I'm sitting there playing Fox and Forest on there, and then my daughter comes over, that's a fox! <laughs> like, nice. She got obsessed with foxes. And oh, cool. I mentioned it in our episode, but ironically, within the last like month or so, Minecraft released a fox update. <laughs> <laughs> And I also got a homebrew Mega Drive Genesis game called Tanglewood, which has a fox. Uh, yes. So yes. like I was like, we're overloaded with foxes right now, and we're doing Fox and Forest for the playcast, which is super cool. And and it's like really interesting to see how things go like that, where when something comes out, there's usually like it comes in pairs of twos or threes. Always, it's such a, a strange thing. I mean, just remember uh, Zelda. Uh, Twilight Princess and Okami. I mean, two yeah. uh, best games ever. And and you know, I always think about it. You know, within uh, within a couple of months, I was playing two action adventures, 3D action adventures that were quite similar. One was better than the other. Uh, yeah, but obviously, of course, Okami didn't didn't sell so well. How could they? You know, if if people would rather play Zelda, you know, if they have to manage their time. So it's really um, I'm so happy that Okami got a second chance with the HD release. It's one of the favorite games. But how strange, you know, two such similar amazing games in this quality within a couple of months. Well, think about like even with the Switch when they released Breath of the Wild and then PS4 released Horizon Zero Dawn. <laughs> like, yes. And it yes. was like, oh my god, I played it. I'm like, holy cow, this is an awesome yeah. game too. But I completely got sucked into <clears throat> Breath of the Wild. And yes. it's I mean, even like in my niche of the world, like I released my complete NES collector guide and I was the first one to get it out. And then other people released their NES collector guides like within a year. And I'm like, holy cow, 
Like it's just that came out at the same time. Like it's it's so weird. And like um I released a game for the NES called Black Box Challenge as the publisher. And it's a Nintendo game where you collect it's a Nintendo RPG where you collect video games. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then you, you play the mini games in the game. But like yes. at the same time there was uh, Rob McCallum did the Nintendo Quest documentary, and they had a Nintendo game associated with it. And I was a backer of it, but I didn't know what it was because they didn't announce it. And it ended up being that he was going to do an RPG where you collect Nintendo games. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, there hasn't been an, a homebrew RPG ever. So the, the irony is, though, is when you talk about delay, is like that game is still delayed, whereas mine's been out for a couple years. And mine was delayed for two years, too. Well. Wow. Mine's been out for a couple years, and so theirs is still going to come out. It's going to be way different because, you know, just inherently programmers on the original NES are going to be different. But, again, two very similar things that have never been done at the same time, not even talking to each other. Like, I, I don't know if it's just wavelengths or <laughs> it's really cool, I, though. You know, when 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 I had a look, I told you how I had the idea with Fox and Forest and, and everything. It started... Back in the days on the GameCube was Ikaruga, right? Such a long time ago. Yeah. And then when when then we defined the character and blah 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 blah, and everything uh, was already put to pages, and we were we were already then then I, then I was going uh, to independent art software to develop prototype. And while we were doing the prototype, I found about uh, um, about the game. Um, how's it called? Story of Seasons, right? No, no, that's uh, no. Um, ah, now I forgot the name of the game. Unbelievable. It's another game with a fox uh, um, where you can change the um, um, seasons. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think I recall hearing about that. I haven't played that one. And it, it's a nice title by a French developer called Sub Sub uh, uh, Submarine. And uh, immediately called them and said, hey, I'm super. I mean, you won't believe me. You know, I had this idea parallel to yours. And uh, it's so similar. And they were super, super nice. They, 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 they took a look at uh, some uh, Fox and Forest stuff and they said, don't worry. First of all, we're going to be out uh, way earlier than you. So that's not a problem because we're not like a month. Uh, that's not a, not in the same time frame. And also they said that we have a different art style and there's a, the market is big enough for like two, two Fox games with seasons. So I was really, really happy how, how cool they reacted. But yeah, for me, uh, when I found out about it, I was really devastated. I thought, I mean, how could, could this be? You know, uh, the, all the, pro- the money is saved up uh, and uh, uh, put it into the prototype and everything. And now, like, there's a, such a similar game coming out on another system. Unbelievable. So that that one that you're talking about, it's Seasons After Fall, right? Yes, Seasons yeah. After Fall. Thing. And that one has almost like a, I want to say Ori in the Blind Forest yes. style artwork, yes. whereas yours is completely retro, so... But it's it's crazy. That's like complete parallel right there. That's even more parallel than Tanglewood. Like yeah, yeah. If you play the game, it's a totally different experience. But yeah. when I just tell you it's a game with a fox and the seasons and it's a it's a side scroller, then you know, wow. Well, you know why I haven't played it? They haven't released it on the Switch yet. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> once the, if they ever do that, then we'll uh, we'll, we'll see how it compares. <laughs> Yes, yeah, definitely. It's it's a very cool game, and uh, yeah, um, they were also successful, so I'm very happy for them. Oh yeah, absolutely. And um, the interesting thing is, is that like we started the Switch Mini Playcast because we have so many games that we need to play, and being able to focus on a game like Fox and Forest was awesome because it's something that literally with hundreds of games for me just on the Switch 
is crazy because I'm a selective collector and JP with, you know, almost five, 600 games now. He's probably getting closer to, but well, that's just the- one system. I collect everything. So like, I have thousands of games and I have more games that I could play in a lifetime. So being able to play the games, that's where it's like, oh yeah, I've heard of that. I haven't had time to play it because it's not in my current realm of what I play. And it's really interesting to think about, though. It's just like, how many gaming experiences are people missing just because there's so much out there? Yeah, so I'm really looking forward to retiring and then playing all the retro games, all the pixel games on the older systems. You and me both. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, just ordered, I just ordered a Genesis Mini uh, yesterday. Pre-ordered. Oh, nice. Yeah, I haven't ordered that yet. I'm, I've been working <laughs> on upgrading to uh, like the analog NT stuff. So I, I haven't gotten the super, the super ones, but I have an AVS for my NES. I want to get the analog, super analog NTs, and so I can play <laughs> everything on the original consoles in HD. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm more of a fan of that than the minis, but I can yeah, me too, get but the minis. I, I do have a Super Nintendo, Super Famicom collection. I mean, it's not the biggest in the world, but uh, but uh, I try to get uh, all the games that I think that I need. Yeah. Uh, but but you know I can't I can't do it again on, on another system you know so <laughs> so I'm, I'm happy with my Super Nintendo collection I love it I'm proud of it uh, but but yeah for the Genesis I I went the mini way. <laughs> yeah, the, um, I've been, took the shortcut. For the last two years I've been I'm writing a complete Genesis book and I've been playing on my I have a modded Sega Nomad which is the portable Genesis and I've been playing on that. That's how I've been playing. But I have to play every single game. There's thousands of games. So it's it's going to take wow. me a while because I'm working on lots of other books first, like Virtual Boy and Switch Volume 1. <laughs> nice. like, I have lots of other books that are, I'm working on concurrently. And, you know, it's, it's, super, it's super fun. And I say, yeah, I'm going to retire so I can play games, but I'm still going to be making books forever because, like, in, so my, in my thoughts, if, if I can reach, like, one person and they enjoy what I'm doing, it's motivating and inspirational to me. And so, so, so uh, yeah, I, I mean, yes, that, that's a super cool thing. I mean, you play all these great games and then you make books about it. It's awesome. Yeah, I just, it's it's been one of those things where I found it's like a passion for me. And so yeah. many people have gotten enjoyment where it's like, well, I'm never going to stop now because I I enjoy other people have liked it. It's been overwhelming. It's been so, such a positive aspect. It's like, well, I'm never going to stop now. It's like I found, a, I found my, uh, my niche in the world and... <laughs> and as so I what's learn your, more it upgrades. What, what's your favorite virtual boy game? Can you tell us? Favorite which one? Virtual boy game. Virtual boy game? Um yes. it's it's gotta be the, the classic Wario Land. Um it's, yeah, yeah. it's the one that I had. I had, I got four games on the Virtual Boy when I got it from on discount for twenty four dollars. Um and I, that one I had I would literally get through the eye string because I played it so long um and completely beat it and so virtual boy was like virtual it's called wario land vb or virtual boy wario land that's by far that game it needs a a port to like the switch or like with the vr app like it needs that because it's so yeah that's such a great idea yeah i mean you got to know somebody at nintendo because most of the employees at nintendo are are fans like we are and somebody has to be thinking that like and it, it is a solid platformer, really. So, so it, it aged well. It's it's a fun game. It really, it's really great. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And you know, digging deep into the Virtual Boy library, though, there's a lot of stinkers that were released at the time too, like very ba- bare bones games, like virtual um, baseball and things. There just weren't 
<laughs> weren't conceptually done or because they didn't release the multiplayer cable till aftermarket later they didn't implement yeah. multiplayer in games that were would require like panic bomber uh the bomberman <laughs> uh puzzle game didn't have multiplayer yeah. even though it was a multiplayer arcade game like it's just a lot of puzzling decisions were made with that and i assume that they were just trying to get a feel and then they would do it with subsequent releases maybe but it was oh it's just an inter- it's it's an interesting book and system to write about like i yeah so i'm sure it's going to be uh, you know the most interesting system ever yeah for me it's, it's super niche <laughs> so what is yours for virtual boy also also vario yeah it's it's like one of those staples and i mean i don't know if i'm going to ever go for a complete virtual boy collection probably not i'm also probably not going to go down the aftermarket route because i think hyper fighting which is the street fighter 2 virtual boy port that's amazing i think it's super expensive like it's getting in the hundreds of dollars now i didn't even know i didn't even knew that existed you know i found it out when when i was researching uh, about your book that, that, that Street Fighter exists in the Virtual Boy. Crazy. Yeah. Well, it's, That's it's really like crazy. the ongoing joke where people would try to be funny and go, well, how are you going to get 100 pages on the Virtual Boy? I'm like, you realize there's 80 aftermarket games released for the Virtual Boy, right? And they're like, no. I'm like, I could do one page per game, and, it, and I'm doing two pages for the physical releases. So it's going to be, it's about 150 pages already. Just for nice, virtual boy, nice. which, is, which is crazy when you think about it, because like that's a lot of content on the the virtual boy. And uh, I I also like Red Alert. I think it's a it's a it's a pretty nice shooter that you can play. It's a nice shoot 'em up. Yeah, yeah. I I honestly that is it's grown on me. I didn't like it back in the day, but nowadays I I I like it on an emulator more than on the actual Virtual Boy though. Because the Virtual Boy to me like it's. It's meant for certain games, but I the eye strain with that one because all the motion got with me, which other games yeah. may not affect. So, yeah. Um. So the yeah. last question, not not the last question, but the the last Fox and Forest question that JP had was, um, are there any future plans for Fox and Forest? Any updates or DLCs that you may be working on, or is it? Uh, yeah, sadly not. I do have to say, um, um, if I could do the whole project again, I would have planned it out a bit differently. But, but you know, um, we really used all the money um, uh, on 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 creating Fox and Forest, and there was nothing left for, for you know, having an additional month to have like the teamwork on 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 a DLC or on on updates. So that would have been uh, wise to do. But uh, yeah, it just uh, didn't happen. And and then the financial success, you know. It did uh, sold more copies than, than some other uh, uh, indie games, yes, but uh, not enough that that um, we we could do a DLC or, or update just for fun. So yeah, I think sadly I have to say that there's no DLC and no uh, updates coming. So so that was a um, a newer gamer question that JP had there because to me. I like that there's not going to be any changes to the game. The experience is what you released. It's what you get. That's what you got on the Super Nintendo. The game's out. It's out. Um, exactly. I like that. And so that that's completely cool to me because then later on it's not going to be, oh, I need to get the definitive edition now of Fox and Force with all the DLC packs on there because there's so much added. And later on, if the eShop goes away, I can't get those. So <laughs> I like that we already have. 
what we want. So, yeah, that was a completely, like, a new school question to an indie developer, which I figured, like, I was, like, probably focusing on that next game, right? Yes. So, JP wants to know if you're able to talk about the, the upcoming game that you're working on, and then... He also wants to know, of course, if it's going to be on the Switch and available physically, which, of course, as we know, is an expensive endeavor. But um, is there any kind of light you can shed on your upcoming project? I know we've seen a little bit of of illusion on social media, but what can you share? Yeah, so, um, of course, uh, I definitely want to do it uh, physical uh, release as well. Uh, uh, but, again, uh, it also depends on, on the game and, and on the on the people that are, who want to co- cooperate with us, but I think it's pretty, pretty. Well, I would love to do a, a physical release with Strictly Limited again on the next game, so that's obvious. And uh, will it be on the Switch? Uh, it, it depends on how long the Switch is going to be on the market, you know, because I'm now in the concept phase of the game. Uh, in summer, we will go into prototype phase, so it's going to be, you know, I have to be honest, it's going to be two years from now until we'll see the, the light of day. Uh, so, yeah, in two years, I'm pretty sure it will launch on the Switch, but will it launch on the PlayStation 4 or PlayStation 5? Uh, or <laughs> I don't know yet, right? Well, exactly. Um, that I mean, it's it's completely understandable. And a, a two-year development cycle, actually, for an indie studio, that's not slow. That's pretty fast. Yeah, thanks. And um, so... So yeah, the idea is, um, so this time it's going to be more of an action adventure. It's going to be 2D as again, uh, but we go more into the action uh, adventure direction. And um, from an art style, it's going to be more pixel art. So uh, it's going to be, uh, has a, will have a higher resolution and more, uh, yeah, same resolution as Owlboy, for example. And we're going to use some modern uh, effects like pixel lighting. So it's going to have a more modern appeal to it. Uh, simply because, you know, we don't want to do the same thing again. We're really happy with the Fox and Forest style, but now we want to try something new, but it's still going to be Pixel. That's awesome. So definitely it's going to hit that uh, nostalgic nerve in you. And um, um, so my idea is that you will uh, play as a character in this game that can go into the people's minds. And Ooh. yeah, it's and it is your task to kind of free your village uh, from the seven deadly sins. So uh, you will go into the minds of people. There are many people in this village. Some of them are uh, affected by one of the seven deadly sins, then it will be a regular level. But some of the people are not going to be sinners. So that's going to be really super exciting because you don't know before you talk to someone and enter his mind what's going to await you there. And you can only go into the minds of people uh, in the form of a mysterious creature, so for example, a werewolf. And of course, uh, in the course of the game, you can unlock more creatures and then you will be able to switch between these creatures uh, on the fly. And they have different types of shots and they have different skills. And yeah, so it's going to be really exciting and the story is also going to be super important for this game. So be prepared for a really, really exciting story with a lot of twists and very emotional aspects. Nice. And I, I like the, um, this, not the scary move, but the horror aesthetic where you're going to have a lot of opportunities to expand the story and get a little bit of lore with the game. Exactly. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to that for sure. And 
yeah, it, once you get out there in the prototyping and, and start getting stuff out there, I look forward to seeing like different teaser images and, and stuff. Awesome, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah we, just, we just have this one a scribble released uh, on uh, on for one of the levels on um, on uh, uh, Twitter. And, you know, it's it's uh, the, the, the thing with entering minds, uh, I really like this idea because, uh, you know, the minds can be anything, you know, you can make really, really creative levels that way. And that's what I really like, you know, because you've seen so much stuff in games. And of course, I don't want to have like uh, levels that are so unrealistic or so that you wouldn't even uh, don't even know what the developer means. But, you know, you can have really fun, uh, fun uh, settings. And uh, uh, if you ask me now, hey, what could have what was one of inspirations for this uh, level settings and, you know, for this whole entering your minds stuff, despite the cool story aspects, there's actually, uh, again, a Super Nintendo game. It's Parodius, because yes. uh, I don't know if you have played Parodius, you know, I think it's stage uh, five or stage six, where you uh, suddenly fly into this bathhouse. I mean, how crazy, how can you make a shooter where you fly into a bathhouse and you see uh, penguins showering their hairs and octopus uh, running around, showering themselves. And I always loved this. And it was uh, left such a huge impression to me as a child that now uh, I want to do something similar with uh, with the next game. Oh, that's, that's hilarious. And yeah, I, I've completely played Parodius and all of that. And uh, it's... Yeah, you can go completely creative, though, jumping into the mines, and it, you don't even have to create a interconnected world in each of the mine worlds because it's somebody's imagination. That's awesome. Exactly, yeah. So if you've, you've got two worlds, actually, in the next game. You've got the, the village, which is the hub area where you can shop, where you can talk to people, where you have the story progression, and then the other world is the, the crazy minds of the people. That's really, really cool. <laughs> Um, so, is there anything else you'd like to uh, to tell the listeners or put out there? Well, uh, uh, the only thing is that if if you haven't played Fox and Forest, please give it a chance. And if you have played Fox and Forest and you like it, please spread the laugh because once again, it's made for a very specific audience. And we as Bonus Level really need the support of this audience also to be able to you know really bring our next uh, planned game to an end. Perfect. Uh, and is Twitter the best place to find you, or where's the, where's the best place? I know you have the website. Twitter. And then- yeah, with Twitter, we and and Facebook, and uh, I'm 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 doing all the social media stuff. So if you, so if you talk to if you contact us on Twitter and Facebook is always me, and um, yeah. So uh, but but I prefer Twitter because it's a bit quicker. But if you are a Facebook person, then please also contact me via Facebook. I'm very happy for any input and everything. Perfect. Well, thanks a lot for coming on and uh, chatting for the interview. Um, appreciate it. And thanks, everybody, for listening to the Switch Mania Playcast. This was our first developer interview. Happy to have you on for, for bonus level entertainment for our very first one to coincide with our episode. Thanks for coming on. Yo, thank you so much for this opportunity. And yeah, good luck and uh, talk soon. Mm-hmm.